we need to talk about ideas, good ones and bad ones. We need to learn stuff about the world. We need an honest, intelligent, thought-provoking, and entertaining review of what the hell happened on this planet in the last seven days. We need to sit back and listen to the Iron Fist and the Velvet Glove. Indeed we do. Indeed. Welcome back, dear listener. Uh, dear listeners, hopefully. More than, hopefully there's more than <laughs> just one of you out there. more than one there. this week? Yeah. Oh, good. Yeah. We talk, we, we talk about the dear listener. I stole it from uh, Philip like, Adams. Yeah, Philip Adams. Because yeah, it does try and personalise things when yeah. you talk about the dear listener. It does sound more personalised, like the each individual listener yes. will think, oh, he's talking mm-hmm. or they are talking to me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We're conscious that you're listening to us probably with a set of earphones on in a very private situation. It's just us and you. So sit back and enjoy our little podcast. I'm Trevor, the Iron Fist. This is the Iron Fist Velvet Glove podcast. We're up to episode 235. And with me as always, Scott, the Velvet Glove. G'day, Paul. G'day, Trevor. G'day, listeners. And of course, Paul, the 12th man. Hi, Trevor. Hi, Scott. Hi, listeners. Mm. So we've got lots of topics. We're going to talk about what's going on in Australia, mostly a little bit of... We might eventually get to Trump and the impeachment, I think, on this episode. We keep talking about it, but we'll get there eventually. <laughs> We're going to talk about SCOMO, anti-SCOMO rallies. We're going to talk about uh, Murdoch bashing by other people, not just us. And uh, and the philanthropy associated with the bushfires. Mm. Scott, do you have something you want to say before I we kick off? I do have something I want to say. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, boys and girls, tonight will be my last... Well, not my last last, but this will be the last time for a long time that you're going to hear my voice because I have taken a job in central Queensland. Um, I'm going off to work for a mining company and no, it is not coal. And it's not a Darnie, is it's it? It's not a Darnie, no. no, no. But I've, uh, Did I've... you say a mining company? Yes, it is. A... <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'm going to go work for the mining companies and, um, you know, we're just going to suck the last of the ore out of the planet and that sort of stuff yeah. and, you know... Move on. So, Your soul so, isn't part of the contract. No, my soul's not part no, of the contract. But anyway, well, no, it's uh, it's implicit. It's implied. It is implied. <laughs> it, look, it is a very good job and that sort of stuff. And I have been looking for quite some time. And mm-hmm. um, because you can't beat them, you might as well join them. You might as well get involved in the mining companies. So yep. anyway, so Scott's overstating it a bit. Um, he would... will, of course, be on the podcast. And the thing is, though. It is tricky over Skype. There's that sort of miscommunication and you trip over each other a bit more. And uh, so we don't know what we're going to do, to tell you the truth. So it might end up that Scott's back every week, but we'll just see how it pans we'll out. We'll have to wait and see because I've, I've got to get accommodation and all that sort of mm. stuff up there yet. Yeah. And, um, and he's got to get a healthy uh, internet connection. Absolutely. I've told him that he must have NBN. Yeah. Um, otherwise, you just can't move into the <laughs> I, proposed I don't premises. think you should sound too apologetic about mm. working for a mining company, mm. either, Scott, because where mm. would our civilization be without mining? Indeed. Well, that's very true. You know, yeah. it's, I'm not working for a coal mining company. Yeah. Even so. for a coal mining company, I mean, our civilization was built on absolutely coal, f- coal-fired power. It's to... now looked down down upon. So. Yeah. It's a bit looking a bit dirty now. It is it? very yeah. dirty. Well, know, there but... are some other options now, but you're not involved in coal mining. You're in no. another one where, when we need metals of different sorts, it's so, magnesia yeah. that we're extracting and that sort of stuff. And um, I don't fully understand exactly what you do with it. But it has quite a lot of uses. Right. Sure, it has a lot. It yeah. goes through a hell of a lot of processing. Actually, when mm. I was up there, there mm. was um, really 
huge chunks of this stuff had been brought out of the ovens two or three days earlier. It was still mm. glowing red. Wow. You know, it was really quite amazing. That's mm. really something. Mm. Anyway, well, we'll see how that all pans out. Mm. Um, anyway, let's uh, move on to the topics. Cheers. And ScoMo, of course, there's not a lot happening. I mean, Parliament's not in session, so we don't have the cut and thrust of Parliament and proposed legislation. That's mm. all uh, gone quiet. But we've just got his activities and, and what people think of him. And um, <laughs> it seems like not much is what's thought of him. Uh, so there were some rallies around Australia and... Again, depending on the news source that you're, you know, watching or listening to, you'll get uh, very different thoughts on on it. So, I mean, there were big turnouts at some of these rallies. There were thousands yeah, 4, of people. Four thousand people turned up in Brisbane. Mm. Is that, that's a fairly good turnout. Four thousand, is it? Yeah. Uh-huh. So, um, so that was on Friday evening, I believe. Friday afternoon, evening. Right. Um, yeah. So the Weekend Australian and the Sunday Mail had absolutely nothing about the protests against ScoMo. Like not, <laughs> not, a, not a single really? paragraph. Not a mention. No. Saturday's Courier Mail had about 100 words. So um, basically a pretty straight article saying there was a protest, there was 4,000 people and... But, um, but nothing to see here. And, and, and that was it. It, it was a very... I think, yeah. I think when 4,000 people show up to a rally in Brisbane protesting the Prime Minister, it just goes to show, you know, continuing on from our discussion last week about what you read and what the uh, line is from the different media, mm. um, if you were just reading the Courier-Mail, you could have easily missed this article tucked away in page seven. If you were reading The Australian, you would not know about any of the rallies. So there you go and that is ridiculous because they're across all the major southern capitals like Adelaide, mm. Melbourne, Sydney and Brisbane had, had anti-SCOMO rallies yeah, indeed so um, so my point is dear listener if you think that you know SCOMO's on the rack and the world you know Australia is up in arms against him um, lots of them aren't because they don't even know about it and you know, in my dealings with uh, with my sort of Uncle Tony's and Aunt Kath's, who are the sort of uh, right wing conservatives that I come across in life, they've forgiven Scamo, and uh, they're now just pissed that the that the left and whatever are, are still complaining about him. So that, that's the sentiment of a lot of people. I, I have to ask, why didn't I even know the protests were going to be on? Am I yeah. that far out of the loop? Maybe you are. Yeah. So because. Uh, Seriously, when I saw your notes, that was yeah. the first I knew of it. Yeah, there you go. So, um, you know, the other question is, of course, what about all the other evil things that the guy's done in his short time as Prime Minister? <laughs> religious discrimination bill, tax breaks for the rich. Well, we do have Where, where were the rallies by the working class or the secular community mm. on those horrendous things? There is a rally it's coming up this Saturday afternoon. Yes. Um, that is against the religious discrimination bill. So, in yeah, ladies, in, ladies and gentlemen, you want to get out, get out to see that one? That's at uh, Speaker's Corner, I believe. Mm. Mm. So, where, where is that? I think it's in the Botanical Gardens. Is it? But I've got a link on the show notes. Mm. So, look for that. Right. Um, thanks. Uh, in the chat room, Ross, uh, Will, and Clinton are there. If you're in the chat room, say hello. That'd be good. And uh, let me just see here. Right. Um, just has this affected ScoMo in the polls? I mean, probably not. Um, well, he's taken a hit, actually. 
Um, you would think so, with the negative publicity around his um, response to the bushfires. Mm. According to the Essential poll, in November, the um, preferred Prime Minister... Morrison was 44% and Anthony Albanese was 28%. Mm. So really? A lead mm. of 16%. Yeah. That's a pretty healthy lead yeah. in November. The latest essential poll in January, two months later, and Anthony Albanese is apparently the preferred Prime Minister. Really? 39% to ScoMo at 36%. Mm. It's pretty close. Where, can we believe polls anymore? I'm sort of... Half reluctant no. to sort of, why do I even look at these polls? Because they've been so misleading to us in recent times. But anyway, that's all we've got. But the British it, poll was was pretty good, though, wasn't it? Wasn't did it? Just, did it? It predicted did, did it predict, a, a landslide it for Boris landslide? Johnson, and he got right. one. Okay, yeah. oh, I didn't think it was going to be as big a landslide. Okay, uh, let me get back well, to. He's got the largest majority since Thatcher, hasn't it? I think so. Yeah. yeah. Mm. The other point I want to make is um, these sorts of issues with ScoMo, if, you know, if you're anti-ScoMo or you're wanting him out and you're thinking these are the issues that you can press in the next sort of two and a half years before the next election about his behaviour with the fires, for example, if you think that's going to do it, you are absolutely wrong. Um, people will forget about it. And what people will do at that time is they'll go, ah, oh, look, he made some mistakes, wasn't as good, but hell, anyone could have done that. And you can't put Labor in charge because they'll, they'll ruin the economy. <laughs> is, that's, that's the, uh, what do you call it, that's the, um, the mantra, isn't it, that, that regularly comes from the conservative side of it, politics. Yes. And, well, do you think that historically... The you know the Conservative Party has been a better economic manager than the Labor Party. I personally don't. Right? Do you? Yep. No, but lots of people would. Lots of people would think that whenever Labor's been in charge, uh, the economy overall, whether it's uh, GDP or inflation or interest rates or mm. stock market or whatever, has gone down the toilet. All the good stuff, and that. That if you want proper economic management in difficult times, then you have to have a conservative government, and that, that's what people will vote. That's what how people, people will vote. People will vote that way. Mm. But you know, you've only got to look at the numbers, and if you look at the budget position, yes, the Tories are better at managing a budget, but what? the Tories were also very lucky last time they were in office when they paid off all the Labor's debt because they had rivers of gold flowing into Canberra because of the mining booms. And why did we have a mining boom? It was probably just sheer luck that we live in a country with lots of um, mineral resources to Mm -hmm. dig up. Mm. Mm. So I've got a link, dear listener, to an article in the John Menadue blog by Alan Austin. And if you're interested in arguing these points with people... Um, then there's a whole series of really terrific graphs and charts just showing, basically comparing, sort of looking at the last 30 years and, and recognising that the, uh, the Rudd government finished in about 2013. Mm-hmm. And so we've had uh, a good six years of... of um, Tory well, control. Tor- yeah. Um, Turnbull, Abbott, Turnbull, or the other way around, yep. And now Morrison. And so what you can see is things like... Actually, I might put this up on the screen for people who are watching on the live stream. Um, Let me see if that works. Yeah. So 
what we've got is things like um, the uh, the annual increase in household income. Uh, you can see that it's plummeted in the last six years under uh, Conservative government. Household net savings plummeted. Personal credit uh, very high under the last uh, since about two thousand and fourteen. Um, annual wages growth in the coalition years. Uh, in the last six years, like wage growth has really stalled, and that's one of the reasons why this economy is tanking, is mm. because people haven't had a pay rise. Exactly. Um, you know, I was reading something like um, when the boomers are complaining about how interest rates were like seventeen percent at one stage, mm. but like wage increases at that time were like thirteen percent mm-hmm. per annum. Like there was huge wage increases at that same time. Mm. Yeah. Uh, wages growth. Um, uh, in 2013, of the um, developed countries, uh, Australia ranked fourth and now we're 18th. Uh, jobless rates. Um, so here's an interesting figure. For example, you could say that back in 2013, the jobless rate was, uh, uh, unemployment was 5.62% and now it's 523 So you'd say, okay, well, it's better. That's an improvement. But if you look at the overall comparison with other countries and the world economy... It's pretty shit. Yeah. And also, what you've got to remember is that most of those jobs have been growing in the part-time sort of thing. Mm. Yes, exactly. So you've only got to be working two hours in a fortnight to be counted as employed. Yes. So in 2013, um, of the 36 OECD member countries, when it comes to uh, unemployment, we ranked 8th and now we're 21st. So even though there's a few percentage, a fraction of percentage points better, if you take it in the scheme of the overall world economy, we've, we've dropped. Mm. Uh, GDP has got worse and there's just a whole bunch of charts there and there's a link. So that's the sort of stuff that people need to get a grip of if they're going to argue the point come the next election because the whole bushfire thing will be forgotten and even if it's remembered partly, people are still going to vote based on their perception of the hip pocket and this sort of false mm. idea that the Conservative government's been a great manager of money is just bollocks. Mm. Right. Well, they were, they were very good managers of money, but they had a hell of a lot to play with. Mm. Well, And that's uh, what they did with it. During they, the Howard Costello years. Yeah. But good management isn't spending everything you've got. That Absolutely. Make, that's, the whole, that's the whole point. They, mm. they pissed they it all up against it. it. They, they squandered it all. Yeah. They, they spent it all middle on middle-class welfare. welfare. Yeah. You know, it's bloody ridiculous mm. that it's bloody ridiculous that we've still got a private health insurance rebate. Mm. All that sort of shit should have been thrown out a long time ago. Mm. Right, um, I had a good um, we had a good run at the Murdoch uh, Empire last week, mm-hmm. and lots of stuff has come out in mm. the week since. Any and backlash from Murdoch? Uh, not to me personally, but okay, the community. You get the sense in the community, people are really fed up with them. Absolutely. And, um, a little bit of that Liverpool syndrome, I think, is happening. Mm. So, um, so we had a News Corp employee, a copy of an email was published where she was just working in finance and basically said, I find it unconscionable to continue working for this company knowing I am contributing to the spread of climate change denial and lies. Mm. So. <laughs> but do you not get the sense that she's just parroting, you know, the, the general... You know, the line that is coming from the left about climate change. To me, it sounded very, very sort of similar to what a lot of people are saying. She quit her job. 
She quit her job. Yeah. That was her resignation. Like, so... Well, I mean... I thought that's pretty... That's yeah, but putting skin in the game. Like, most, most sort of virtue signalling that you might be referring to is just <laughs> empty words. But yeah, when no, somebody no, says, I'm, I'm out of here because no, this place I, sucks... No, she's certainly... Um, she's certainly uh, actually walked mm. and, and, you know, put her money where her mouth is, mm. so to speak. Mm. But what she's saying to me is not particularly original. No, I didn't say it was original, but no. at least it was somebody who said, this it is was a, very, a poisonous organisation, I'm out of here. It was very powerful what she mm. said, though. Mm. You didn't think so, Paul? I didn't, no. Didn't, somebody resigning honest. from a job because of the behaviour of the company wasn't... Well, she says, uh, News Corp employee, uh, what does it say? For spreading climate, ch- in, in, in quotes, climate change denial and lies mm. through irresponsible and dangerous reporting. There's nothing new there. You know, this is what a lot of uh, climate change demonstrators have been saying all, o- all the time, basically. Yeah, but not many people actually quit because of it. No. So I thought, good honour. Okay. I thought, exactly. Hmm. Uh, and she was from the finance department too. Mm. Uh, oh, so not actually a journalist. No. Right. Um, Sky News, I mean, those guys are not even pretending to be no. a news organisation anymore. They ju- are just a cheer squad for the government. Mm. Like, it, it's, it's beyond a joke how much of a cheer squad they are. I've got a little bit of Sky News here um, I'll play some of that now. The bashing up of the Prime Minister has continued overnight and today, and it's now become, I guess, a bigger sport than 2020 cricket. Both are similar in style. It's all about the big bash. The latest came from some very unfriendly and shorn locals from fire-destroyed Cabago. Let's start with the woman who wouldn't initially shake the Prime Minister's hand. How are you? I'm only shaking your hand if you give more funding to our RFS. Hang on. The PM does not deserve that. But then there's the woman with the razor cut who blamed him for a lack of equipment. How come we only had four trucks to defend our town? Having four units, as she points out, that is an excellent ratio of fire units to residents. Oh, an idiot. Who we both people around here? Nobody. You are out, son. You are out. Great stuff, isn't it? <laughs> Pee off, F off. Uh, I bet it's not burning at Kirribilli. These are greenies, greenies, greenies. Oh, God, who those people don't live in Kirribilli. The fact that we survive on the energy from fossil fuels and obviously blame ScoMo for not changing the weather. Not voting Liberal down here, one of them said. But what bogan behaviour, bogan behaviour. So why is he it was an ugly Kir- episode, which I've no got to say the Prime Minister took on the chin with such grace. He mentioned Kirribilli because some protesters, or some of the people complained and said, I bet there's no fires in Kirribilli. Oh, I see. Yeah. Uh, look, he's really he bagged... He doesn't live in Kirribilli, he lives in Sutherland. He's really bagged the good he people lives of... In, he lives in Kirribilli now. Well, it's oh, official. in Kirribilli House, you mean? It's oh, official. I see. Yeah. Sorry. Take right. that back. The good people of Cabago really got a bit of a... They really went to town on him, didn't well, they? Well, but this particular Sky News guy has really gone on Cabago. Mm. If that town has any self-respect, it will be in... Surely any Murdoch papers and, mm. and business in that town, you would think. 
Surely they can do a Liverpool in Cabago when a guy not, like that bags Or just not the town. buy it and read it, yeah. not watch it, you know. Mm. Mm. So anyway, look forward to seeing what Cabago does in terms of, of, of a boycott. If they've got any self-respect, they'd have mm. to. You just can't let a, an organisation bag you like that. So we'll see. Um, one thing I came across was uh, a copy of a, a, a tweet from this lady who said, I ordered myself a lies and propaganda stamp, sort of a self-inking stamp that says lies and propaganda. For when I have the misfortune to encounter the Australian or Daily Telegraph in a cafe. So she's got one in the handbag. And she stamps the... uh, the Other people's newspapers in cafes. (laughs) With with lies and propaganda on it. Malicious damage. She could be charged with malicious damage of property. Free speech, libertarian. <laughs> that isn't free speech. That's <laughs> malicious damage of other people's property. Oh, I like believe it? in rule of law. Right, okay. So that was a vandalism. In, it is. Yeah. It's vandalism. Yeah. Okay. One little stamp, lies and propaganda. Why can't she just yeah. say, I don't want to read this? I won't read it. Yeah. Well, she's. It's a free country. She doesn't have to read it. Mm. And along the same lines, the chaser have said. Are you sick of that crotchety old billionaire Rupert Murdoch siphoning off your hard-earned cash each week? This is uh, directed at people who have a News Corp subscription of some sort. That sounds very ageist, crotchety old billionaire. I mean, what does his age and his crotchiness have to do with it? (laughs) You're getting very sensitive about your age, aren't you? Somebody has to go into bat for the old people. Yeah. They say, are you tired of reading newspapers so biased they make this chaser seem like serious journalists by comparison? And do you want to cancel your subscription um, but you can't be bothered waiting on the phone for three hours to do it? <laughs> if you And they've set up a service where you send them your details and they will sit on the phone and cancel your News Corp subscription for you. There you go. Yeah. I almost took out a subscription recently just oh. because I got sick of encountering paywalls. Right. Yeah, well, you should tell me. I'll put you on. Well, I do sometimes. I send I send you a yeah. request to yeah. to send me a um, a page PDF, or two. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, a little bit of um, retaliation, I think, happening in the community, and you think it's misplaced. It seems, Paul, or you're just like, be quiet and don't buy it, but don't no, say anything. Is kind I'm not of, saying be quiet right. at all. I'm right. saying that you know, freedom freedom is freedom to to buy it and read it, or mm. freedom to not buy it and not read it. Mm-hmm. You know. Mm. Right. Um, moving on. I think you have fundamentally understood the whole consumer sovereignty thing here because... Please explain. Well, <laughs> a consumer is sovereign and he or she can choose what they're going to buy yeah. and or where they're going to buy that from. Uh-huh. So what you were saying last week was that, yes, you shouldn't buy the newspaper, but you shouldn't boycott a business that also stocks that newspaper. Mm. I think that's perfectly reasonable to boycott the business that stocks a newspaper. Mm. Mm. And, and, and you're free to have that opinion. Absolutely. <laughs> Righto. We're done with bushfires for the moment. We'll move on. Well, actually, we will come back to bushfires in terms of the philanthropy issue. But I just wanted to mention a couple of things. Just briefly, still dealing with sort of the media bias to some extent. And remember we had the floods in Queensland. We did. Uh, a couple of years ago now it would be. It was 2011, 2011. 2013. So yeah. it's actually six years ago yeah. now. So if we don't have bushfires, Seven years ago we've got now. floods. It's either one yeah. or the other in this country, isn't it? Yeah. Or we must be due for another flood, I reckon. Yeah. 
So what we have is um, a class action against different um, water authorities, oh, yeah. Sunwater and mm. SEQ Water. Um, so a class action was taken out. It was. And those authorities were sued. Basically, the, uh, the allegation was that they hadn't complied with their own manual about how to deal with the build-up of water mm. prior to a potential deluge. And in New South Wales, a decision came out um, in, in favour why, of why the Why was it handled in New South Wales? I, 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 I was wondering that yeah, too. Yeah. I, I mean, uh, you know, is the God-fearing Queensland government going to... St- you know, sit back and take it from a New South Wales court. I think that might have been as a perception of neutrality that they transferred it to a different court. I suspect, but I don't know exactly. And it wasn't involving juries, it was only involving judges, wasn't it? Yes, yeah. Good point. I don't know why it was in New South Wales. They have a Supreme Courthouse in Brisbane. Yeah, absolutely. They do it here. Maybe they just figured they weren't good enough. They they mucked up the Baden-Clay case, so maybe they figured they weren't good enough. That's a bit cruel. Yeah. I don't know why it was in New South Wales, but it was. And anyway, the New South Wales decision was that, yes, there was negligence by the water authorities. And then the question I think it has something to do with the state of origin, even though New South Wales won last time. I think they're just putting the boot into Queensland. Could be. Anyway, in the Courier-Mail there was an article. Well, uh, Deb Fecklington, mm. leader of the state opposition, Freckles, I think they call it. Uh, she called on the government to not appeal and to tell the water authorities not to appeal. Did the she? Decision. Yes. Yeah, because, you know, Why? give in and, and, le- and, and let these... Let these poor people have their money, is what she was saying. Oh, I see. And she's a champion of the people now. Yeah, and and that's that's how it was reported by the Courier Mail, but they didn't give the background to this, which is that these water authorities have got insurance. Yes. And once insurance kicks in, they control the yes. the conduct of so the it's litigation. Not the government, actually. And it's and it's not these water authorities. So if the water authorities and the government said, Oh, well we we're happy to give in, we're not going to appeal then the, it affects the insurance. The insurance companies would say, uh, you don't get to choose. No. We think it's worth an appeal yep. and um, if you want the insurance to continue, then we're going to appeal. Well, that's right. It's not their it? decision. Mm. So so really Fecklington is saying that oh, there's this insurance here that's going to pay for it all, but because I want people paid now, I want the government to give up on the insurance and pay it out of their own pocket. Mm -hmm. None of that in the Courier-Mail. Like, it was the most stupid thing to say. It was insane, yeah. Yeah. Surely, I mean, at the end of the day, if the appeal was successful and the insurers don't have to pay, then the government might decide to make some sort of ex gratia payment mm. if they wanted to. But to actually interfere at this point and wipe out your insurance effectively, nuts. No. You don't hear, you'll never hear that anywhere. Nobody's making this point. She's mm. just playing politics. She's just yeah. trying to you know, appear to be you know, on the side of the common people who were mm. affected by the flood. Yes. That's all it is. Yeah. So, it's well, very cynical politics. Yeah. Was in the chat room asked, is the IFVG boycotting Murdoch? And the answer is no, because I have to read all this stuff to sort of, <laughs> dis, to, to sort of look at 
Know your enemy. Indeed. But that, was that's the myself same re- and Paul don't have subscriptions. Yeah. We just get everything from no, Trevor. Yeah. I have a subscription yeah. to the, the yeah. Sydney Morning Herald. Yeah, but that's, right. a, that's a Murdoch. That's, that's not a Murdoch that's not paper. A Murdoch. That's a, no, uh, but it's owned by Channel 9 now. Channel 9. Yeah. Which is yeah. nearly as bad, isn't it? Um, uh, in my sure. reading of it, it's nowhere near as bad. No, but Channel 9. Channel 9 is going to head to the toilet. Yeah, yeah. I think so. Yeah. So there you go, was... Which is a real pity because once upon a time you could actually get something decent out of 60 minutes and that sort of thing. And remember that Sunday morning program, which name escapes me, that was really good. Which one? Every Sunday morning they used to have two hours worth of current affair and that sort of stuff on... um, On Channel 9? On Channel 9, yeah. I don't recall it. Yeah, it was always very good. Anyway, Mm. Long time ago, I think. It was a very long time ago. Mm. What about a current affair? The current affair is rubbish. Mm. Do you know what happened with... Uh, those current affair and today tonight shows that that finished them off as legitimate sort of news sources was Frontline, mm. the comedy show that came out with Rob Sitch. Mm. Like they just sort of exposed everything that was going on in there in in a sort of satirical, comical it's way, kind of and people went, "Ah, oh, that's what's happening. Ah, oh, I see mm. how we're being manipulated," mm. and uh, people stopped watching pretty much from then on after Frontline. Mm. Anyway, finally, just on this whole media thing is I've got a link to an article from Caitlin Johnston, who's our blogger, and... um, That was very interesting. And she says, you know, what's important is not just to present the facts, so whether it's facts about, um, you know, arson is not responsible for any fires or any of the facts that have come out about the bushfires or... Uh, maybe what I was talking about before in terms of the economy, where you talk about, uh, well, in fact, the Conservatives are not the great economic managers. Here are the facts. The point when she's making is when you're arguing with your Uncle Tony or your Aunt Cathy about this, is not only present the facts, but say at the same time, mm. and you see the message you're getting from the media is biased and they've misled you. So mm. these are the facts and you've been misled. So don't just say these are the facts. You've got to You've got to build into people a mistrust of what they've been getting. So I thought that was a good point. Can I ask, did Caitlin write that herself or did she take it from somewhere? I would assume she wrote it because she Mm. writes prolifically. Because I was reading it and I was thinking, Mm. it's very emotive language she uses. This is Caitlin Johnston from America. Oh, not not, not, not our Caitlin. Not our Caitlin. Not friend of the show, Caitlin. Right. Because I was thinking, oh dear, I'm going to get Caitlin offside. What I say now, because different Caitlin. I mean, it's just it's just the same style of highly emotive language, conspiratorial thinking that we get from right wing, left wing, all kinds of wings. Well, she's saying there's a media conspiracy. Is she wrong? She very. She's certainly saying that. Is is she wrong? Uh, Possibly. I don't think she is. I think she's right about a media conspiracy. Sounds like a I've been spending the last two weeks trying to demonstrate it. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. um, so well, she's saying that there is a media bias and a media conspiracy and when you find a fact that's contrary to somebody's argument, not only tell them the fact but explain that what they've been getting is wrong because of misinformation. Yeah, look, I don't, I don't like you know, this distortion of the, uh, the facts from whatever side of politics it's coming. I, I find, you know perfectly honest the guardian to be quite uh, then the same would apply if for example distorted if, if for example uh you come up with a fact that is contrary to a fact that the guardian's mm-hmm. been running 
then say the same thing. Say it's not just the facts, though. It's the way they present it. You know what I mean? They can be very selective in in, in the yeah, way they yeah. present. And you might something. say you might have a really good rational argument against identity politics, for example, mm. and you could say, "Here's how I explain identity politics," and that's very contrary to what you're getting from the Guardian. So you're being misled by the Guardian. So not mm. only state facts or an argument, but state how it's you're getting yeah. something different from. You don't like that idea. You have a problem with, with, no, look, with calling out organisations. No, no, I don't have a problem with calling it out, but I, I just have a problem when people assume that it's only the, the right-wing side of politics that are distorting things and trying to lead people in a, in a particular direction of thinking. You know, Every side of politics does that. Well, she's from the left, so she's talking to her left colleagues. And exactly. So she's saying to her left colleagues, here's what we need to do. I don't yeah. have a problem with her. But, and and also, to... look, I'll just give you an mm. example. Mm. She, she writes, uh, this doesn't mean there's no hope of ever awakening a, crit- a critical mass to the fact that they live in a society which is ruled by oligarchs who benefit from keeping everyone else poor and powerless and profit from deceiving us into sending... Our children. Now, this is the key. You know, she uses emotive mm. language like sending our children. You know, every time you put something about children in, people are going to respond emotionally by sending our children overseas to murder other people's children. I mean, come on, you know. They send soldiers overseas to kill, yeah, to kill people. But why, why does she have to add the word children to send our children overseas to kill other people's is it, children. Is it, is it inaccurate? Is it uh, misleading? Well, it's misleading, Are they not yes. somebody's children? Oh, of course killing... they are, but that goes without saying, doesn't it? She's not suggesting they're underage. No, but she's, so she's, she's, she's injecting emotion where emotion is not needed. What, when people are being killed, emotion Look, is not needed? Look, everybody is someone's child. That goes without but, saying. But surely, surely, there's no, not enough emotion. Like, surely there's not enough emotion in these arguments. No, it sounds like our, you know, governments that send soldiers to war I mean, you know, the Second World War. I, I consider the Second World War to be a relatively just war. There are a lot of unjust wars. Right. But, you know, did, when we talk about, you know, sending our, our Australian soldiers to, uh, to New Guinea, for example, were we sending them to, to kill children, to kill Japanese children? No, of course not. Uh-huh. So why, why even mention the word children? Well... Are you saying you can't put emotion into an argument? No, you have to be dry it's a and... deliberate manipulation of people's emotion. That's what I object to. Right. I mean, they're, they're sent to kill people. Obviously, that's what happens in war. But if you're right, you know, sending our children to kill other people's children, that is, to me, that is just pushing people's emotional buttons unnecessarily. And, and I think it's very manipulative. I think she's t- showing that the mass media is manipulating people. And, yeah, and, from every side. And I think she's put in a reasonable amount of emotion no, into that. No, well. So I don't have a problem with her putting emotion into people. So you don't have a problem with this idea that she's putting in the word children rather than going, sending them overseas well, well, to when, kill when, when you look at what's happened combatants. in the Middle East with Iraq and Afghanistan and you look at coffins coming back with young 20-year-old boys... They're not children. And, well, they're somebody's child. That goes without saying, Trevor, well, well, that they're somebody's child. You may think so, but it, it points out that people lose children. No, it's just a, as a, 
It's just a motive. As a fifty-year-old, when the coffin comes back with a twenty-year-old in it, I've lost my child. Of course, that goes without saying. Well, no, it doesn't go without saying. You're entitled to repeat it to say what's been happening here in these wasted. I'm sorry. These wasted lives on these on these expeditions by America that they've got no business being involved in. She's pointing out people's families are being destroyed by these events. War is always bad for, for, for the people and, who get killed. And it's worth repeating. That goes without saying. No, no it, doesn't go using, with, it doesn't go without she's saying. She's using deliberately emotive language where it's just not needed. Why doesn't she just why, why state it Why is it not needed? Fact- well, she should just state it factually. Why? why, why? If she wants to be an why? objective... Uh, Reporter or an objective. She doesn't want to be objective. No, clearly she wants to, she wants to persuade. Clearly, she, she doesn't want to be objective she, at all. She is not and that's interested. What I object to. She's not interested in saying, "Here's one point of view, and here's another point of view, and you make up your mind." No. She's saying, "Here's a point of view that I believe in, and you tell me if I'm wrong or not." This, I'm persuading well, you okay. to a point of view. She doesn't have to. Give. She she has been being manipulative, and then. She accuses others of being manipulative. She is a hypocrite because she goes on and she says, uh, they lie to you about everything. Drive this point home constantly, as often as possible. The propaganda machine is only able to manipulate people, and she even uses that word, manipulate people Mm. away from inconvenient truths when people trust it. If you can weaken their trust in the plutocratic media and the political class which regurgitates their narratives, you will cripple the machine's ability to, again, manipulate them in that way. She's being just as manipulative as the people she's accusing of being manipulative. Yeah, but I think she's but, actually but written, she's written a piece that's designed to be manipulative. Yeah, oh, yeah I think she's given an opinion I, piece. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so and she's designed, she's got, a, she's got an opinion she's piece a hypocrite. out there. No, well, no, she's got she's a, nothing she's hypocritical got, in saying is. In if saying she wants these to persuade people, people, persuade them with the power of her argument. And you're allowed to use emotion in an argument. You're, oh, it's she doesn't pure have to emotion. Be, she doesn't have to. No, it's not. Where are the facts? Well, read through it. I did, and I couldn't find a fact in it. It's well, all the fact is that emotive a, language. The fact is, is that there is a media bias that is influencing people and it needs to be pointed out. And, and there's media bias and, on every side. Yeah, but she's what saying she it said, needs to be pointed out. And she's not saying that she's not being biased. She's said that she's biased. <laughs> Did she, she wear? Well, I, she didn't say it explicitly, no. but she has, hasn't tried to hide away from her argument, whereas what I think she's also saying is that if you look at the, if you look at the mainstream media, you get a hell of a lot of reports which are designed to be reports, but they're, well, which are supposed to be reports, oh, but they're yeah. being designed to be manipulative. I think she makes a great point. I oh, don't understand no. why somebody who's making this point cannot use persuasive tools, emotion, if you like. Because it just sounds like propaganda. She's objecting to propaganda and she, you know, every, every word of it sounds like pure propaganda. But, but, but if, if propaganda is resulting in really bad results for people, aren't you entitled to be angry? You're if it's actually angry, killing yes. people unnecessarily, aren't you entitled to be angry about that? Does somebody have to be so neutral and dispassionate? No. Aren't they entitled? Passion is fine. Aren't they entitled then to use that passion and passion and is argument? fine? Well, that's look, what's in that. No, look, passion is fine, but when you when you're trying to enlist people's um, minds or engage their minds in a cause, you should be regaling them 
with strong argument rather than, than just pure emotive it's a very manipulation. Strong anyway, in the chat room, Ross says, doubt there were any Japanese children in PNG. Well, no, but all the Japanese that, that soldiers, cho- all the Japanese soldiers who died there, and there were quite a lot of them, mm. they were somebody's son. Yes. But it's not necessary for our prime minister at the time to say, you know, or for anybody to say, we're sending our soldiers up there to kill, you know, somebody's children. But they were, according to your reckoning, they were somebody's children. Of course they were. That goes without saying. But they were enemy combatants, and that's what the Australian soldiers were fighting against, enemy combatants. Yes, and if Australia decides to send more troops to Afghanistan or Iraq, Mm. then if you think that's a shitty decision, you're entitled to say, you know what, people are going to come back in body bags. Inevitably. Young men and women who was whose lives have been cut short and whose families yeah, but will what, be decimated. Yeah, okay. So you're entitled to say that. Of course you're entitled to well, say that. And not. I'm entitled to argue why it's not a good persuas- persuasive argument. Well, if you don't think it is a persuasive argument, fine. But I, I, think, it's, I think it's very persuasive because it reminds people it, this isn't just but if, bombs landing on houses if, and just uh, if that infrastructure sort of language, destruction. If I, I put it to you, Trevor. If that yeah. sort of language was coming from the right wing and they were arguing for, for something using the same language but arguing for a cause that you disagreed with, wouldn't mm. you attack it for being propaganda? Yes. And that's exactly what it is. It's but propaganda. You can attack it. I expect the right to attack Caitlin Johnston. But to say that she can't use emotive language is crazy. That, she doesn't it, have any facts at all. Well, she, It's she, pure emotive language. Well, we're now repeating ourselves. We are. I'll leave it up to the listener. You can yeah, look at the Please read article. it, listener, and, yeah. and give us your judgment. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I can remember, actually, right-wing Tony. Yeah. Uh, and I, look, I'm, I I'm, not de- I'm not trying to defend the right-wing of politics at all. Yeah. I just like a bit of objectivity, you I, know? Uh, well, uh, this is... Objectivity can have emotion. It's not objective, though. As far as I can see, and I did read it, I couldn't see anything objective well, about it. The listener can look at it yes, and decide. So, um, uh, just back to Ross saying about the Japanese, no Japanese children in PNG. Uh, right wing Tony, who I worked with in a law firm, one of the guys working there was this consultant who was this Japanese guy, and mm. he was actually in the Second World War oh, really? with the kamikaze pilots. Oh, he must have been very old. Yes. And, um, I actually met a and, kamikaze pilot once. And, well, what he said was... <laughs> and he was only in his late teens, I think, when, yeah. during the war because he was yeah. a very old man when I met him. Yeah. So this guy was describing to Tony how uh, basically they were leaving, I think, on planes that had wooden wheels, like they knew they weren't coming back, I think. It was part of the story. I might have that partly wrong. But basically they these were, were mm. kids in these planes. Yes, they who were, were just, 17, 18 Who were literally old. shitting themselves. Absolutely. And uh, it was just horrible And scenes. it was a one-way mission. So, yeah. They were all one-way missions. And, and they were just young of kids. Of course they yeah. were. So, it's terrible. Uh, yeah. Right. Um, let's talk about corporate philanthropy. <laughs> Back to the bushfires. <laughs> okay. Andrew Forrest has donated $70 million towards the bushfire. Good on you, Via Andrew. his Minduru Foundation. What do we all think of that? Well, I think we should at least give him some credit for putting up $70 million, shouldn't mm. we? Yeah, but the question I have, how much of this money 
is his and what's her name? Nicola. How much of it is his and Nicola's money that's gone into the foundation? And how much no is idea. money that's coming from other sources going into the foundation? Mm. Because it sounds okay that he's handed over 70 million bucks, mm. but it's from his foundation. Mm-hmm. God alone knows where all that money's coming from for the foundation. Could it be coming from the companies he runs? Well, it comes from the companies he runs and all that sort of stuff. I don't think there's any doubt about that. Mm. But could be a mixture of stuff. There, there could be a whole lot of other people donating to the. F- Nick, yeah, maybe some of, his Forest rich, Foundation. some of his rich friends are giving money. Exactly. I don't know. I'm not too concerned about that. I, I assume, I'm happy to assume he and his wife have contributed the whole lot, the 70 Well, million. then it's going to come down to what's the percentage of their gro- total gross wealth. And what's the money being used for? Because um, at a press conference, Mr Forrest said that while he did not want to get political, global warming was part of the reason for the devastation, but... Quote, the biggest part was arsonists. Really? He was, he must have been Did he say Australian. That? In a statement issued later in the day, he said unequivocally he believed climate change was real and he accepted warming of the planet was a primary cause of the catastrophic events. So he kicks off the day saying the biggest part was arsonists and then he's The biggest back, part, really? Yes. Quote, the biggest part, end quote, was arsonists. So, um, the forest's $70 million gift, $10 million will be used for immediate bushfire relief. $10 million will go towards mobilising about 1,250 specialist volunteers from tradies to health professionals. The remaining $50 million will go towards a $500 million project gathering experts to develop a globally relevant national blueprint for fire and disaster resilience, including new approaches to mitigate fires. Sounds like a kind of a think tank. Sort of Does it? 500 million? You don't need 500 million to run a think tank. Well, uh, come on. Gathering experts to develop a globally relevant national blueprint. Wouldn't that be, you know, funding technologies and equipment, you know? I, I, you don't I, need I, 500 million to run a think tank. I mean, I, people who work for think tanks are probably reasonably well remunerated, but I don't think they get in the sort of tens of millions, do they? I don't know. But I'm just wondering, if you've got a $500 million project and it's funded by wealthy people like the Forrest family and perhaps others, hmm. maybe it doesn't the, matter. Maybe it, the Murdochs. It could, could be all the Forrest family or it could be, a, could be other multi billionaires, mm. but that's what we're looking at here, presumably. What if the, you know, do you think that this, that this, um, this project um, might come up with the conclusion that, in fact, the whole problem is, uh, is mining and that uh, we need to close, close down mining? All when, mining. When, when, when the contributors are large mining groups, what, what are the chances that their conclusion might be, you know, we probably just need to stop Coal mining, for example. What do you think the chances are if significant donors are coal miners mm. that they that there would be a pressure on that group to find mm. some other solution other than we better stop mining? It's a possibility. Or, or what if the solution was, you know what, what we need is a wealth tax to create a fund that is like an insurance fund that we can use for devastated communities. So mm. maybe the solution is we need to tax people the really super wealthy on, on, a, on a wealth tax, uh, what are the chances are that this group is going to come up with that idea? Probably not high. Bugger all and none. This is the problem when you've got but, philanthropic organisations yeah. that are funded by 
super wealthy, they're not going to produce solutions that may be legitimate that are not in the interests of the super wealthy. No, probably not. But it doesn't sound like that's the case with this one. It's a project to develop globally relevant national blueprint for fire and disaster resilience. It doesn't sound like winding back tax breaks for rich people to me. It sounds like setting up, you know, systems and organisations to deal with, um, you know, uh, hopefully preventing big bushfires Mm. and certainly perhaps uh, being equipment to respond Mm. more adequately Mm. to them. Back to this super wealthy donating. Mm. So I would just rather that they pay more tax and the government runs the rock show rather than leaving it in the hands of people who mm. may have other agendas. Like it's not a solution to be thinking, oh, both? it's wonderful. Why not both? Well, uh, if we fully tax, we don't need them to. But if they want to go an extra mile, yeah. great if they wanted to. But we're not get- the most important of the two would be if we're taxing these people enough mm. and uh, anything they offer then is cream on top of what mm. already is a good solution. Yep. But that's unlikely to happen. So, I mean, when you look at the forest's wealth, they've got something like $7 billion. Only seven? Mm. Oh, so God. a donation of How 70... How does he even show his face in public? <laughs> a donation of $70 million is about 1%. Mm. Um, and of his total wealth. Yeah. If you look at something like the Elizabeth Warren wealth tax, yeah. she's proposing... 70% a, or something, is it? Uh, uh, well... No, she's, she's proposing that you're going to pay... Uh, annually. In, annually. If you've got anything over $1 billion, you end up paying 1% of your total wealth, isn't it? Oh, really? um, basically, over $50 million, you would pay 2%. Per annum, mm. on every dollar you own above that amount, and if you've got a billion dollars, then you would pay three percent every mm. year on every dollar above a yeah. billion dollars. And so, uh, effectively, under an Elizabeth Warren wealth tax, if that was here in Australia, mm. uh, the Forrest family wouldn't be paying uh, like they've just contributed seventy thousand mm. annually. They'd be paying like two hundred seventy million. Seventy million. Mm. So annually, they'd be paying at around two hundred million annually. Yes. Oh, well, do you think would, you'd still want to pay seventy? That would make a difference. Yeah, wouldn't it? Imagine. <laughs> yeah, look, I'm not against the super wealthy, uh, yes. you know, paying for a share, yes. you know, a reasonable percentage of their wealth. Yes. Because after all, they benefit from living in this wealthy society, you know, and they benefit from all the. The infrastructure and the education and the high, you know, the high standard of education and training of the people who work for them. Yes. They benefit from all of that, don't they? Yes. So um, uh, Warren says it was breaking up at the start, but it's improved. That's good. Um, and Andrew, I am using Ethernet, so I'm not using Wi-Fi. And uh, <laughs> so, yeah, <laughs> fingers crossed that um, it's going okay. Um, so... Nobody's talking about a wealth tax in this country. No. But think of the money that that would generate. Like, un- under my calculations, like, like, I've, here's a list of donors, for example. The Forest family, 70 million. Um, 
the Celeste Barber Facebook fundraiser, 49 million. Paul Ramsey Foundation, 30 million. Packer Family, five. NAB, five million. BHP, two million. Blah, 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 blah. There's a list Packer of Family, only five million. Yeah. Um, a bit stingy. Huh? Yeah. Um, Coles, four million. ANZ, one million, etc. Chris Hemsworth, one million. Um, and he's only an actor. Indeed. So. <laughs> You get down to Nicole Kidman and Keith Urban. They handed over five hundred grand. Yeah, good on them. Um, I like that list of significant donors comes to around two hundred million. If you had a wealth tax from the rich, we would be getting eight billion dollars a year, Mm. eight thousand million Mm. per annum every year. What could what could you do with that? A lot. You could put dentistry under Medicare exactly. for five billion. Yes, and you'd still and have you three could, left over. And you could properly properly fund a state based secular education system mm. with you know high quality campuses and facilities, and you know teachers that were re- remunerated well enough that they could do a, an even better job than they already do. You know. Yeah. So, so it's clever PR by the super wealthy to make some donations. Yes. Um, look, they may be doing it because, you know, they feel like they want to and they people, feel like yes. it's they're doing their bid. But when you look at what else is going on potentially around the world, mm. you could say, well, guys, that's really a drop in the ocean. Mm. And when you consider the tax breaks that have been given to corporations by the Morrison government, $30 billion odd or $100 billion, I it's hard to remember the figures... Mm. They but, were but staggering figures. Now, they, they were knocked on the head, though, in the Senate. Mm. The Senate didn't pass them in the end. Right. Because remember... But personal tax cuts came through. Personal tax yeah. cuts came through, yeah. Yeah. So billions of dollars worth there, mm. and none of it's trickled through to the bushfires. It trickled be, through at all. Because the total, it seems, from the super wealthy is around $200 million. Mm. So, yeah. Um, right. So it's clever... PR by the super wealthy, and um, I just hope people aren't combined. I, I wish people would go, well, it's just a drop in the ocean, and um, we should be getting a lot more out of you than just that. Along the same lines, did you see Nick Kyrgios sort of donated his um, winnings, winnings yeah. for his prize money? Oh, entire winnings? Oh, I think so. Let's just uh, say it was. So did Serena Williams. Or, or maybe he was donating amount per ace. It was maybe it was a. It was per ace. It was two hundred dollars per ace that he served. Was what yeah. I read. Yeah. But look, so did Serena Williams. Uh, full credit to Serena mm. from her winnings in the Auckland Open or something. Mm. She donated her entire winnings, I believe, to mm. the bushfire appeal. Mm. This is uh, was in the in the chat room. Says governments are crap at spending money. Who says? No, they're not crap. He says private industry is not perfect, but way better. The federal government would buy more submarines to fight fires. You can't worry. You you can't fight fires with submarines. I'm sorry. No, you can't. (laughs) The whole point is: was you've got this situation that the navy went to the government with an ambit claim saying they wanted twelve submarines. They thought they'd get six. Abbott said, yeah, you can have all 12. 
and they bought the wrong ones. They bought the wrong ones. They <laughs> bought the, they didn't buy them from Japan, they bought them from France. But that part's a joke. But the mm. part that he's serious about is that he thinks private enterprise is more efficient when it comes to spending money. No, it's not. On, it's on not. And one of the one of the examples of this, you can have to look at the United States right now because they've got a hell of an argument over their Medicare for all, which is what Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders have been banging on about. And they keep pointing to the fact that, I forget what the percentages are, but it is an enormous percentage of the money that is raised by the insurance companies over there gets spent on administration. Mm. Whereas you compare that to the administration bill of Medicare and Medicaid, it's a hell of a lot lower. Mm. The NHS in the United Kingdom is the world's most efficient health service. It It is. Mm. It does not have a bloated bureaucracy maintaining those hospitals. The hospitals maintain themselves. And no shareholders. You've only got to look at private health insurance, private schools to see as examples of whether private enterprise does a better job than the government, Mm. and they don't. Mm. When you look at socioeconomic factors and all the rest of it, they don't. And uh, as a community, we need our community representative, the government, to be making these decisions so that we can complain and do something about it. And, of course, the they idea, need to do it well and, and, or we vote them out. And, and, and the super wealthy, as I just said before, are going to propose solutions that are in their favour. Of course they will. It just, it's just natural. And, you know, the very proper solutions might be things that are uh, against their interests, but they won't promote those mm. because of self-interest. So you need to have an authority which presumably doesn't have that self-interest component Mm. in an ideal world. I agree. So, sure, government spending is flawed, but nowhere near as flawed as the idea of letting private enterprise miraculously Mm. work its wonders of efficiency um, and produce a better result. So, disagree with you there, Woz. Um, I still love you, Woz. Yeah. Back to Nick Kyrgios. Sounds good. Keep sending beer, was Sounds good, uh, Nick Kyrgios donating money. But apparently when he... Uh, well, on his Twitter profile for his residency, the Bahamas. Exactly. Seriously? Yeah. And I think at one of the tennis tournaments where it had his residency come up on the screen as well, the as Bahamas. A, so it's a, it's a tax dodge, is it? I don't know. But certainly, I don't think the Australian government allows that, does it? If, well, you, if you're living... I think it does. Yeah, if you're an Australian citizen... It's, well, it's not considered a dodge... If and you spend a good part of your time in Australia, you're expected yeah, to but ta- if you're domiciled, pay Australian If tax. you're domiciled in another country, then no, you're not. So yeah, you, but it comes down to the six-month rule and all that sort of stuff, how much time you actually spend yeah. in Australia. Yeah. Yeah. So Pat Rafter, for example, was yeah. domiciled in Bermuda. And he was Australian of the Year, mm. and he was lauded for his charitable yeah. work. That's true, yeah. But he wasn't paying tax here. Mm. In fact, a lot of so the top tennis know. players live in the United States or Europe, I think, I, don't they? Yeah, and, and I, I get it, and I don't... Yeah. You know, if I was Nick Kyrgios, I'd, I'd do the same thing, but people, when they think, isn't that a marvellous contribution he's made to the Australian community, bear in mind, it's possible, it seems, and he may not be paying tax here. Mm. I don't know, but it, yeah. the, putting two and two together when you're starting so. to say you, your residency is the Bahamas, that's probably Look, what's it, happening. It might be... Purely heartfelt on Nick's part. Indeed. And, and it really yeah. might be. We have to yeah. give him the benefit of the doubt, I think. Indeed. But just to paint the full picture, yeah. I'm just providing that information and totally. make of it what you will. Totally get it, Trevor. Yeah. yeah. Um, and we, we could talk about other gestures like um, the, uh, our, our cricketer. What's his name? Shane Warne. 
right, auctioning off or his um, his baggy green cap, yes, which was a you know probably a treasured possession. Yeah, but it occurred to me that why didn't he just give money? You know, but as I said to you, mm. by auctioning it off that way, mm. he got more money for it than he would have if he'd just done some private Sotheby's auction. Yeah, but you know, I don't see why so, people, you know, think selling off memorabilia is the way to do it. Why don't they just take it out of their bank account and give them money? I don't think he's got a million bucks in his bank account. He's pretty well off. Yeah, he may well be well off, but... He he makes a lot of money from uh, marketing and sponsorships and things like that. Yeah, but I think a million dollars to him is a hell of a lot more money than what 70 million is to the forest. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, look, I agree. So I think that... That's a um, fair point. I think he's... uh, I think you're being a bit tougher on him in that he's... Yeah, I mean, think, I think I'm, that... I'm being too tough on Shane and not tough enough on Andrew. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe. I mean, like, I didn't have a real problem with it because he sold it at the right time. How much did he get for it? A million know? bucks. Did he really? Yeah. A million for yeah. a hat? Yeah. Wow. And now, had, he have not, had he have not sold it at this time, I don't think he would have got a million dollars yeah. for it. Yeah, that's probably true too. You'll, you know, in years to come, your earphones, <laughs> they'll probably be worth a similar amount. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. I can't see that happening. Mm. Still on tennis, uh, Margaret Cordarina will feature a number of um, matches. That, in that video Open. of yours is wild, isn't and it? And I've got a link to a video of Margaret as she's um, performing in a, in a church or in a chapel or whatever it is but she's doing the whole casting out of devils and pushing people backwards and they're fainting into the arms oh. of people who are there to catch them it's all that and american yes stuff that we laugh at all yes. the time and now margaret court yes i don't know how old the foot how old Australian the footage is. legend is yeah. doing the same sort of bullshit witch doctor routine casting out demons Terrible. and sometimes she blows on them and oh, sometimes God. she just um pushes them but uh, have a look at the video because the thing that gets me about it is she's so matter-of-fact. There's a big line of people she's got to get through yeah. and she doesn't even look at these people in the eye. She's no. just very matter-of-fact, goes along and, and just puts her hand out and pushes them. And, she's, and Yeah, she's and, not as ostentatiously sort of uh, theatrical about it as some of them are, yes, is she? Yeah, she yeah. just walks along and push, push, push. Indeed. You would yeah. think if you were casting the devil out of somebody, you'd at least look them in the eye. And just Wouldn't you think? It. She yeah. almost looked bored doing it. Uh. <laughs> I've, got a lot, I've got a lot to get through. Yeah. I've got my head down, my bum up, and I'm just going to yeah. start go, going through this crowd as quick as I can. Through. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it was very funny to watch. Yeah. I mean, funny but disturbing at the same time. Yeah. I think the woman's evil. Evil so. is a very strong word. I yeah, don't I know, know that, that she's evil. I think she's deluded. Mm. Um, a list came out of which companies have paid no tax. Uh, the, the tax office is doing this, and it was the 2017-2018 year. So there's links to it there. A whole host of companies that pay zero tax in this article, I think, which I sought from... Oh, I forget which magazine I got it from. But the point I want to make is that really they tear into or they really have these tables listing these various companies that have paid zero tax. Mm. And um, remember when uh, Glencore's figures came out <coughs> recently mm. and they paid $1,000? Mm. I thought that was a smart move because it just gets them off these lists. Mm. Their name doesn't appear on this one. Just the ATO had so. a bit of a win recently though, didn't it? They, they got a few hundred million out of Amazon. They got some out of Google, Google or someone. But again, a drop in the ocean when you look <clears> at the total scheme <throat> of things. So uh, more work to do there.
Uh, let's just see. Let's scroll through those bits and pieces. Um, oh, another article I came across. Remember we had a banking royal commission? Mm, we did. Remember the terrible things that the banks were up to? Mm-hmm. It was appalling. Mm. NAB Chief Executive Ross McEwen says bankers who have ripped off customers should be afraid of repercussions. Should they? Mm. Did he say that? Yes. But he warned that an overly punitive approach by regulators could produce an exodus of talent from the industry. Oh, no. It, what a it, load of bullshit. Oh, no. We don't want to lose all that talent, All that banking talent. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. We don't want to be too hard on them. The banking talent might leave the country, 12th man. You know, Scott, what, what, what does constitute talent to be a banker? Don't you have to just be able to do the calculations exactly. to, to work the numbers? What, where, is, where is the talent? Well, even with all that, that's all out the window now because you've got um, a certain, I think, forget what it's called, but there's some sort of office within the bank that sits there and goes through the numbers and decides whether or not someone can get the loan. So the actual guy that's actually fronting it, he's only a salesman. But it's not talent, is it? No, it's not talent It's at like all. anybody can... I mean, anybody who has the mathematics and who can do the calculations and work the software on the computer, who can't do that job? Do you have to be talented? No. I and think that... It wouldn't, it wouldn't require much more than just ordinary common sense to do a lot of the functions. So I'm sure we can come up with some other talent if uh, if he... If the really talented bankers leave the country because of talented punitive, bankers. punitive measures, yeah, mm, good, yeah, God help us if all our talented bankers leave the country. It's, you know, Ross McEwen's clearly lost it that he actually <laughs> thinks that you've got this whole pool of talent that would yeah, leave. Yeah, you know, the pool of talent, yeah, it might shrink a little bit, but that's only because you have foreign bankers over here that are working in our banks going home. I question the concept of banking talent. I mean, I think any competent worker, you know, who's learnt to do mathematics and maybe done an accounting degree like your good self, you know, it's, it, I don't see it as a matter of talent. I see it as a matter of competence. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Anyway. What but a- they use this word talent mm-hmm. to make it sound like we're losing our best sporting stars or something. Yes. You know what I mean? And, you know, our whole banking industry will grind to a halt oh, and therefore yeah. the economy if we don't yeah. have our most talented people... It's not going to happen. ...working out new consolidated sort of... In fact, it might be, might be cheaper. Yeah. You know, because we'll get people who don't expect to be remunerated quite so highly. Mm. Right, just quickly. Um, Trump, two things. Uh, Iraq, excuse me. Mm-hmm. Iran. Iran. Mm-hmm. Thoughts? I thought he was extremely impulsive and dangerous mm-hmm. in his in his activities over the last week. Right. I mean, he you yeah, know he had that, that he had that that scumbag eliminated, and no, nobody's going to miss him except his own family, of course. But uh, he was somebody's son. He was somebody's son, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yes, and somebody's father, probably. Mm. In fact, he was somebody's father. I saw a picture of his daughter mm. in, the, in the news about it, mm. uh, you know, of course, mourning the death of her dear father. Mm. But he, was a, he had blood all over him, that guy. He was a, he was a dead set, you know, bad person. Mm. However, you know, we don't want somebody like Trump. He's just so impulsive and, you know, he's, he's probably doing it to make himself look um, strong. Strong. You know, because this is an election year, of course. 
So I, I thought it was a very political so, act. So this guy point. was more than an army general. He was kind oh, yeah. of like um, Secretary of Defence or some sort of almost vice president rolled up in. Yeah, Iraq I saw him described as possibly mm. the second or third most powerful person in Iran. Mm. So that's pretty high up. Mm. And tr- Trump just you know, had him eliminated. Mm. What do you think, Scott? Well, I had to agree with you because I thought that, that Trump was far too impulsive with that. Mm. You know, it's it was a predator drone, was it, that took him mm. out? Yeah, it's on Iraqi soil. Absolutely, and that's the whole point I was going to make. You've mm. got this situation that the Americans thought they could operate impunitively. Mm. Now, I was listening this morning to cognitive dissonance, and they said you've got to make you've got to make this this. Um, Starts with a what's it, analysis. Mm. He said that you could have a situation that China decides to remove Pompeo on the streets of Paris, and mm. that is exactly what they would do. You know, China would be mm. using someone else's airspace to liquidate someone else. That's exactly right. If you and think that's, that's okay, then that's you need you, to condone that as a, as reasonable. Yes. So one and man's terrorist is another man's freedom fighter mm. in that sense. So, so would you equate it with the North Koreans bumping off that guy in Kuala Lumpur Airport? You remember? Uh, well, that he bumped was, off his own brother. Yeah, but that's yeah. an internal thing. That's bumping off an internal enemy rather than a than a but it was high-ranking like official of foreign, another country yeah, in a third country. I, I think that's quite different. But it was on foreign soil. Yeah, it was on foreign soil. There's yeah. no doubt about that. It was illegal and lots of stuff that they did. That, however, they did it. It's one of those things like I don't think the French would, you know, had they, you know, not saying that the Chinese would use this, but had the Chinese right. decided to assassinate an American on the on the streets of Paris, I don't know. I can't that the, imagine them doing well, that. Well, I can't can imagine you? them doing that, but I can't yeah. imagine also France then turning around saying to the, saying to the Chinese, you better apologise, we're going to beat the shit out of you, because the French would be sitting there thinking, Jesus Christ, we can't, right. this is a war we can't win. They're not in a position to say that. Exactly, yeah. Mm. But, you know, there was some, some good news. Uh, was it the, the mayor of a big city in Hungary basically uh, rejected a sister city agreement with Beijing and instead um, made one with Taipei? Mm. And okay. Yeah, oh. was really. You didn't see that. No. Can I? Can I just find it? I have. Mm-hmm. I have it online here somewhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was really interesting because it was a, a rare case of a. You know, if, I mean, he was a mayor. He wasn't a prime minister or a president, but he was a mayor of a, a major city mm-hmm. in a European country, standing up and saying, "Sorry, we can't trust the Chinese, um, and I won't be compromising what I can say about China mm-hmm. just to." you know, seal this deal with Beijing. Right, okay. Um, just give me a sec and I'll, I'll find it. It's probably easy for a mayor to grandstand on yeah, something yeah. like that. easier than for a... It sounds a, a little bit like virtue signalling because there's no skin well, in the game, is there, really? Well, there is for, skin for in the mayor? game. There is for skin the mayor in the personally? Game. Is there? Because, yes, there were probably certain benefits that would have accrued to his city. Um, but just let me find it. Was it? Paul's looking for that. What was Majinawas? He was he was actually in favour of the assassination. Yeah, wasn't he? and that Very really surprised hardcore. me. Was he? Yeah, I didn't that, see that. That yes. really surprised me because really hardcore. I've always found him quite reasonable and all that sort of thing. He was rabid about it. Absolutely. Yeah, and he just was quite happy for the US to be the world's policeman. Exactly. Yeah. Here it is. Yeah. Prague mayor. Oh, it's Czechoslovakia, not Hungary. Right. Prague mayor can. Condemns China, unveils Taipei partnership was the headline. Right. And 
And here comes the story. Uh, just let me read a couple of paragraphs. The mayor of Prague condemned China as, in quotes, an unreliable partner Sunday and told a German newspaper his city will sign a twinning agreement with Taiwan's capital, Taipei. The comments by, and if I can pronounce his name, Zdenek Hrib, revive an ongoing dispute between Prague and Beijing that has soured Czech-Chinese relations despite a campaign by Czech President Milan Zeman for closer ties between the two countries. And look, it, it goes on because it, w- it was really good. He said, uh, he said he could not sign an agreement that forced Prague to, in quotes, speak out against the independence of Tibet and Taiwan, close quotes. That's uh, part of a sister city agreement yeah. that requires well, how you speak? He he was saying basically it would have compromised his ability to say anything critical right. about the occupation okay. of Tibet mm-hmm. and the threats to Taiwan's independence, regularly made by Beijing. Right. So he said, oh, and because you remember in uh, Czechoslovakia they had what was called the Prague Spring, didn't they? Mm-hmm. So he, he referred back to that. He said, uh, as mayor, I am working to fulfil my campaign promise to return to a course of respect for democracy and human rights. These are the values of the Velvet Revolution, which the current leadership of our republic is neglecting. Maybe he's going for the next election, prime minister or president. It still sounds to me like virtue signalling. Not at all. No, he's he's basically standing up for democracy and human rights. Right. And let's face it, you know, China is a, a, a serial... Um, violator of human rights yeah. inside its own country. Actually, on that point, when you're thinking about Iran and whether it was justified, the Americans bumping off you know, their evil second or third in command, you have to remember that Iran supports 73% of the world's dictatorships and has a massive arsenal of nuclear weapons and WMDs. As of 214... Iran was involved in 134 foreign wars and interventions. Uh-huh. And it's one of the world's most racist countries and the police regularly murder minority citizens with no uh-huh. repercussions. Uh-huh. And it has the largest per capita number of prisoners. Uh, we oh, all wait. know, Trevor. We that all was know the US. it's not Iran. It's the United States. Wah-ha-ha. <laughs> the, other, the other thing I saw was, because um, it talked about whether Australia will be involved in any escalating tensions. And this guy, Paul Barrett, had this tweet that said... Um, Funny how Australia's contribution to global emissions is too small to matter, but our military efforts in the Middle East are a vital contribution to global peace. (laughs) That's a good point. Yeah, it's easy to say that, but, you know, the United States doesn't put snipers on on rooftops to shoot unarmed demonstrators in the neck. We've been over that territory. I'm just making a point. But about the bit about... I like that, that our military efforts are considered vital contribution but we're such a small, minor part, yet the same government says, oh, well, we, we're such a small figure in terms of polluting the planet that we really can't do anything. It's you know, ours is meaningless, our contribution. So, Right. Um, oh, and the other tweet I saw was uh, from Simon Holmes of Court, who said to Scott Morrison about potentially being involved in esca- further escalating... Um, the brother of Robert Holmes Accord, or uh, the, one the of the son, sons think, of yeah. Robert Holmes Accord, said, yeah. can't we stay home and use carryover credits from the last two Iraqi wars? Oh. 
very, very witty. Yeah. Right. Um, we're going to finish up very soon. Class. You wanted to talk about class, didn't yeah, you? Yeah, but I'm not going to get to it this week. Okay. But Woz wants to talk about class. Well, okay, just briefly, um, where have I got that about working class? Um, because we we talk about the working class and uh, and I joked last week that I was a repre- I, I represent the working class. Ha, ha, ha. Seemed very funny. But actually, can I give you my working class credentials? Because yeah. well, Woz has made the point, well, what is working class? Yeah. And because um, traditionally working class would be somebody who had a, co- a kind of a very manual job where they would be mm. using their hands, sweating a bit, physically mm. doing something, yeah. rather than somebody who was uh, sitting at a desk. So you'd kind of be... Mm. The first one would be blue-collar, yeah. And the other would when you kind of white collar if you were behind a desk, mm. the blue collar was more working class traditionally. Yeah. When I talk about working class, I think of somebody who, uh, well, you consider yourself working class. I do. And was was surprised by that because yeah. he said, "Well, you're a professional person yeah. who's not getting his hands dirty making something," mm. but. As I see it, somebody who's selling their time and has to rock up and be somewhere at an appointed time mm. and stay there for eight hours with an mm. hour off for lunch uh, and in return getting somewhere around the median wage or less mm. or a little bit above, but yeah. essentially who doesn't, who's doing that sort of job and who doesn't have significant assets that are producing a separate income that they can rely on. So if you stop working, you're going to run out of money in six months and uh, that's me. And you need to rock up and be somewhere at an appointed time yeah. and basically do a job that you have to do. That's working class, I, am. I, I see. You but disagree look, with that? or Scott? Or but you? that idea that working class is people that use their hands and middle class are people that you know, sit behind a desk, mm. I think that's, that ran yeah. out about the middle of the 20th yeah. century anyway, didn't it? Yeah, yeah but a lot of did. people wouldn't it, consider themselves working class. Because no. so more and more people were becoming better educated and, and the nature of work was changing too. Absolutely it was. And that, that's the whole point I was going to make is that the nature of work has changed. Mm. That you've got this, you know, in, instead of people down on the factory floor, you've now got a floor of office space mm. where you go out there and there's all these open plan yeah. desks and all that sort of stuff. And then yeah. you've got people out there on the side who are in offices. Mm. Now, I don't know whether or not I'm working class. I think by Trevor's definition I would be working class because I've got to mm. be there at a certain time. Mm. I earn... And, and potentially you know, above the average. Yep, you're at slightly unusual. But but if you were married with kids and the, you know whatever, nearly all of your income would be taken up. Absolutely, in would supporting be supporting yeah, you. Yeah. So that would make me working class. But you then got to look at what I'd actually do in a day. I'm consider myself sort of managerial class rather than working class. Yeah. You know because I direct people and all that sort of thing. Yeah. Anyway, I'm actually, looking forward to the day when you have your own foundation and you can contribute seventy million dollars to it. To you? No, not no. to me. To your foundation. <laughs> but, but, but anyway, this sort of terminology is important, though, because I think this is one of the Howard cleverly cleverly referred to sort of Howard's, Howard's battlers. Yes. So he, he that was managed, good marketing, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. So he managed to grab people who were essentially working class but maybe didn't want to think of themselves as working class. People don't – 
want to acknowledge that, that they're working class, I think, that they would like to think they're... So it's mis- a status thing, you think? I think there's part mm. of that there. If, if, if I, you know, if there was a rally, for example, that was said, you know, it's a rally for the working class mm. demanding our rights or whatever... Uh, there's lots of people who would go, well, that's not part of, you know, I don't mm. fall into that category, who, who I think yeah. they would be part of that class because mm. they are teachers. Uh, I agree. Um, teachers, nurses, and, and, policemen. And, and, and the part of the problem for the labour movement is it is sort of people still traditionally think of labour as being for... Manual workers. Yeah. yeah. And... and but as Scott said, the nature of work has mm. changed and I think mm. the working class are increasingly mm. doing jobs that require you know, pretty high levels of training and education. Mm. But they're still working class. Yes, yeah. Because they're Cause still they're dependent sell- on that wage. They're essentially selling their time. Yes. They're rocking up and being at an appointed right. time and it doesn't really matter if you're crunching numbers or if yeah. you're flipping hamburgers. And even if you're a- selling your time yeah. and that's all you're doing... Then you, to me, that's a working class, and even a relatively well-paid tradie. You know, if mm. he if he loses his job and goes yes. on the unemployment queue, yes, things yeah, well, are going to well, be hard. Tradies, working yes. class, yeah. So, um, just my credentials. Back to my credentials yes. as a working class. So, I don't my, think your credentials necessarily change your class. Uh, do you? Well, I just I just want to tell this anecdote. Oh, so okay. let me just get it out. Okay, sorry. <laughs> so. Um, my father was a, uh, a plasterer by trade mm-hmm. and he also then ended up at Hume's Pipes, which was a place where they just made these concrete pipes and mm-hmm. shoveled a lot of concrete in his mm-hmm. time. He ended up sort of fixing a lot of the broken pipes mm-hmm. was his job. Mm-hmm. So um, anyway, when my brother and I were born, um, we were not given middle names because my father considered that middle names were for posh people. Oh, oh really? And that we were working class stock. Okay. And that That's hence interesting. we didn't get middle names. Wow. So my brother and my half-sister did not have middle names. Well, so, yeah, that's interesting. So, but, I mean, so I grew when, up in a working-class na- neighbourhood and mm-hmm. virtually all my friends were working class and most of them had middle names. Yeah. So the three of us, whenever we are at something where we have to give our name mm-hmm. and... Somebody's writing it down, and, and they, they say, say, and your they say name? And when they say your middle name, we say, "I don't have one. We were too poor." Oh. And it literally is true. We were too poor to have a middle name. Oh, and um, nice when we were organising Dad's funeral, the three of us were there in the funeral home, and they were taking out details and middle name, and they, uh, middle name, and one of us said, "Don't have one. We're too poor," and we just all burst out laughing. It was the funniest thing. So yeah, yeah. so um, did the uh, and, and I th- stuff and get I th- it? And I um. Sorry? Did the funeral parlour stuff get it? No, we, we got it. That was Probably important. Not. And also, I think one of my, either my father's father or his father was involved in the Tree of Knowledge at Bark Alden. It was oh. apparently there during the early days. I, so, I've been there. So I saw it before yeah. some idiot poisoned it and right. killed it. Yeah. So there you go. Just on working mm. class. But, um, in fact, they, they have a very uh, nice little museum in that town as well. Mm. Have, you, have you been there, Scott? No, I've never been there. Yeah, yeah. You should go sometimes. Right. Quite interesting. Mm. Anyway, I reckon that's enough. We've rambled on and meandered at okay. different points and we got a bit distracted because of the technology sh- issues. So yep. I think I know what happened there. I'll sort that out for next time. All right. Um, well, Scott, uh, good luck in your travels. Thank I'm you sure you're going to be back on the airwaves, yeah, the podcasting yeah, airwaves. Before so, too long, I hope. Yeah. Well, I just got to get, get into an NBN 
uh, suitable place and that sort of yeah. stuff. So, and, yeah. uh, and we'll just see what happens. So, right, dear listener, talk to you next time. Bye. Thank you very much. All the best. Talk to you later. All Bye the now. best, Scott. See you, everyone. The best, like all conviction, while the worst are full of passionate intensity. Well, dear listener, did you enjoy that episode of the podcast? If you did, I've got a favour to ask. Uh, First up, tell some friends. Let them know about the podcast. You'll be discussing something at some time, and you might be repeating something I've said. And when you're talking to your friends, say, hey, I heard this on this podcast, and it's worth listening to. And maybe pick an episode that you think's a good one and direct them to it. Like, grab their phone and go to their podcast app and search for Iron Fist Velvet Glove and subscribe <laughs> on their behalf on their phone and uh, and just put the word out. The other thing is you could become a patron and support the show. So if you go to our website, you'll see a link to Patreon and there are some different options for subscribing and paying per episode. And really the amount that you pay depends on what you get from the podcast. So there's different levels ranging from $1.50 Australian to, I think, $10 and various ones in between. It's really, what do you think it's worth? Is it worth a cup of coffee? Uh, Is it worth more than that, less than that? Whatever you get out of it, because not everybody gets the same. Maybe you don't listen to the whole thing. Maybe you never talk about it with people. Maybe... You really couldn't care less half the time whether the podcast is there. It just it'll be different for everybody. So if you get a lot out of the podcast, contribute a bit more. If you don't get much, contribute less. But in any event, you can subscribe there. If you don't like the idea of a regular subscription, the website has a link to a PayPal donation. So you could just do a one-off donation every now and again. So there you go. It'd be good to uh, spread the word, get a few more listeners And that way, look, if we ended up getting more listeners and more money, we could do maybe a second episode or more special episodes, provide some more content. So it's up to you. If you think it's worthwhile, let people know. Thanks.